Welcome to Laughter, Dirt and Education, a podcast recognising and celebrating our rural and remote educators. From teachers, principals, teacher aides and gubbies, they share their real and inspiring stories of educating our bush kids. Come along each week for the often crazy and inspiring stories of education and see why these amazing educators do what they do. Welcome back to another episode of the Laughter, Dirt and Education podcast. This week, I catch up with Tiani Taylor, who made the decision to head west to a small school in order to gain experience in mainstream teaching. I love my chat with Tiani because she keeps it real and tells us the struggles that she has faced with teaching in the bush. This is her story. Hi, Tiani. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for jumping on. Ah, oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up and why you got into education? So I'm from originally the north side of Brisbane, um, a sleepy little seaside town. Um, and it's just gorgeous. I grew up there my entire life, primary school, high school, sporting clubs, everything, like just this dinky little town right near the beach. Um, and it was gorgeous. I just loved it. And um, I went to I went to uni in Brisbane. I did all my pracs in Brisbane. Um, and that's where I spent the first five years of my teaching um, was on the north side of Brisbane. And I just loved it. Hey, like it was big enough that it wasn't teeny tiny little towns, but then it wasn't so huge that it was inner city Brisbane and I was having to catch the train to work and all that kind of rubbish. But um, yeah, I just loved it. Um, and I initially wanted to become a teacher um, from probably I think about the age of six. I can remember my mum saying that I used to play schools and I used to teach my siblings and all that sort of stuff. But in particular, I wanted to be a special school teacher because I'm the eldest of four kids and my next brother, um, he has Down syndrome. He's 25, 25 this year. And we are thick as thieves. Like we are just two peas in a pod. We've I've always been so open that he's my favourite sibling and all my, my other siblings know that. They know not to question it. <laughs> um, so Matt and I are just the best of buds. And um, he had such an amazing time at school once he left the mainstream sector. So he did his early schooling in the same primary school that I went to. Um, so he was in and out of the unit and things like that. And then my mum made the choice to put him into a special school for like his primary to high school years. And he just had the best time. Like they would go on fishing camp and they would get to go to cafes to practice like their money and their communication and all that sort of stuff. Um, They'd go to Australia Zoo all the time. They had so, so much fun. And he had such a different relationship with his teachers. So obviously being in special schools, it's a one teacher, one teacher aid is like your minimum. And that's for every class. It doesn't matter how many kids, it doesn't matter like how many full-time kids you have, how many medical needs, like that is your absolute bare minimum is at least two staff. And he just adored his staff. Like he would just come home and tell me story after story of his teachers and how much he loved them and It was just gorgeous, like just, just beautiful. So that's why I wanted to do special school teaching is because I wanted to be one of those teachers like my brother had that was able to provide these opportunities for these kids who don't fit the mainstream schooling style and who have additional needs and things like that. So that's why I really, really went into special ed. So I did a Bachelor of Primary Education with a major in special needs through Griffith Uni in Brisbane and um 
I think it was three and a half years maybe, they like rejigged the whole structure of our degree right in the middle of it, which was oh, so annoying. No. <laughs> I was supposed to leave with a double degree, but by the end of it, it was just a bachelor and an award major. So that was frustrating. But yes, yeah, so I, I um, had my uh, award major in special needs and I went and did five years of special ed teaching um, all on the north side of Brisbane. And I slowly found myself falling out of love with it. I had always had really, really quite physical classes, um, working with kids who have high trauma backgrounds, uh, reactive attachment disorder, all of those sorts of things stemming from childhood traumas, which I have done additional training in those kids. I adore working with those kids and they were absolutely the kids I wanted to work with. But then after going through three different schools, I found the support getting less and less. So then I made the decision that it was time to give special ed a break for now and branch out into mainstream teaching. And this was actually term three last year is when I made this decision that that's enough. Let's see what else I can do. And I applied for about 20, anywhere between 20 and 30 schools on the north side of Brisbane in mainstream settings. I did request that it wasn't to be a special ed teacher. It wasn't to be a unit teacher, inclusion teacher, whatever else they were called. I just wanted to be on class. Out of those 20 to 30 resumes I sent through, I got two responses saying no, and I got one interview. I went to the interview and they said, I would never give a special ed teacher a straight class because you don't know how to handle that many kids. And I was like, have I actually, am I a bad teacher? Like, do I not know how to teach? Like I it, it rocked me. It absolutely rocked wow. me. I cried the entire way home. I was devastated that a principal had said that to me when I thought I was a pretty decent teacher. So that was just shocking. And I went home and I, I just like, I cried and cried and cried. And I was like, I'm never going to be a teacher anymore. This is it. I quit. So like, there's no way I can ever make this work. Um, principals obviously don't see me as something worth having. Um, and then I sat on smart jobs and I just scrolled and scrolled and scrolled. And I was like, how on earth can I get into mainstream teaching? And then the light bulb sort of went off in my head and I was like, oh, I need to move to the middle of nowhere, don't I? (laughs) So that's exactly what I did. I applied to about 10 schools in the central west, central Queensland, central west region and I was shortlisted for three of them and one of them was a term four start and I was accepted for that and I said look I'd really like to wait till the start of 2021 like is this something we can do and the principal at the time was like I'll I'll keep that in mind but I really need someone now and then I thought it over and I was like you know what screw it let's do it let's do it now so within the space of about 12 hours I had informed my real estate I to cancel my lease I had told my school I had a meeting with my deputies and my principal they were like do you understand where it is that you're going and I was like no I just said any meeting mighty mo and pick the one that was furthest away like no that's <laughs> not it I have thought about this <laughs> so now I teach kindy prep grade one grade two grade three grade four grade five grade six so I'm a k to six teacher in the middle of nowhere like I'm at a teeny tiny what's considered a very remote school in central western Queensland so that's how I've ended up here (laughs) wow so when you were back in special ed did you have multi-age then or were they straight classes 
So I've never had a straight class in my five years of like, well, six years now, six years of teaching in special ed. They're normally a composite class. But in saying that, I only ever taught high school aged kids. So I've done grades seven to 10 in special schools. And those kids will often not be working any higher than about the year two curriculum. So I've mastered prep to year two because that's where the majority of my learners would sit. But they just had the bodies of grade nine children. So, um, yeah, always, always been composite classes and having to juggle those multi-year level um, content delivery too. I think that's probably such a huge benefit for you now considering you teach the entire school really, plus kindy on Yeah, top of absolutely. It. Yeah, like, and that was something that I didn't think of. Like, I didn't think that my background in special ed would be able to help me that way. I thought it would be like, your kids with learning difficulties or trouble like regulating emotions but actually like how I run my classroom is like the same structure as a special ed classroom yeah and I love that because considering what the principal said to you back in Brisbane that they wouldn't employ you whereas that has probably been your biggest asset now now that you're out west Absolutely. Because she was like, how are you going to handle like five times the amount of kids? Like, because your standard special ed class has anywhere between five and 10 kids. Like, and now I work with 27 kids, like from K to six. I don't know. You just do it, right? Like, (laughs) it's the same thing as asking a new grad, how is a new grad going to run their classroom? Like, it's exactly the same. It's just that I've had experience in another strand of teaching. Yeah. So what was it like? You've obviously decided to change your whole entire life, which I love because I don't know, I think taking that leap of faith is such a huge one. And you seem like someone who is willing to give anything a go. What was it like arriving at that new town for you? Were there moments when you were like, what have I done? Every day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. From the minute that shipping container truck came and packed up my apartment on the north side of Brisbane. I was like, oh my God, what have I done? Like, what is going on? Like, I was so grateful that my partner came with me and I had left quite a toxic relationship back in Brisbane. So I was like, you know what? Rip that bandaid off. Let's start afresh in the desert. Like, what a better way to start. (laughs) So um, the drive is, it was about 1200K from uh, from Brisbane and we camped overnight in a couple of spots to get out here. And we were coming over this particular bridge and it says like, welcome to Outback Queensland. And I was like, oh my God, I've never been here before. Like the, the furthest north I'd ever been was like Yapoon. Like that's nothing. nothing. Like, And the furthest west was like, I don't know, Esk or Kilcoy or something. Like nothing. Like wow. that's basically still Brisbane. So, and we're driving and driving, driving and the dirt's getting like more and more orange and then it's going to red and then seeing all the like, the kangaroos and things like that. I was like, holy cow, what is going on? I'm so out of my depth. I've never been this far away from the beach, like just an absolute whirlwind. And then we pull up to the house and I just got all teary. I was like, oh my goodness, this is where I'm going to live now. Like how wild is this? (laughs) And Every emotion ever. Yes. Did you get Ed Queensland housing being so remote? Yes. Yeah. So I, 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 I used to live in the same town that I teach at, but I made the choice to move. So I used to live 200 metres from school. And for me, that was just a tiny bit too close. I was yeah. also 
a corner block right on the edge of town, like on the main road with no neighbours. So everyone could see into my house and the kids would come to my house every afternoon and on the weekends and they'd want to play with my dogs and they'd want to hang out with me. And I'm like, oh, Miss Taylor needs a break, guys. (laughs) So that was very much a new learning curve for me and something to brace yourself for when you come out west and you potentially land housing is how subpar it can be like for the first three months I had no stove like the oven didn't work the stove didn't work the air conditioners were intermittent my gray water would literally just dump out from my shower underneath my house like there's a lot going on so I did make the choice to move to the next town over which is a bit over 80 k's away and I'm I'm still in an EQ house which is excellent so um, that worked out really nicely and this house is gorgeous like still got its little faults and stuff like that but it's just beautiful so um, yeah just anyone who's thinking of coming out the houses you see in like the cute estates in Brisbane and stuff, like, no, lower your expectation and prepare for quirks. Like. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's something you really, that is the reality you need to face going west. Like you are going to get accommodation, but do your research before you get there, I guess, to see what it's going to be like, because every little town has different Ed Queensland housing. Absolutely. And like when you see, um, I know that that was a big thing that the Queensland Teachers Union pushed for. All mm-hmm. of the principal housing out west has all been renovated and it's it's basically like living in a new house. Um, and then next on their list is making sure that all um, very remote and at least remote towns have an EQ teacher housing that's actually owned by the department. So any of the the two houses I've lived in aren't owned by the department. They're just rented out through the owners. So it's still run just like a regular rental would be. But I do think that's really something to look into that while the experience is so good, you need to think about how that's going to affect you and how you used to live. I remember I was out here for maybe two weeks last year at the start of term four and I just I bawled my eyes out one afternoon because I was like I took for granted going to Bunnings like I took for granted the fact that I live like 10 minutes away from a Coles now I live four and a half hours away like yeah it's absolutely just a total shift in in all of my thinking because I thought the isolation would be the thing that would get to me first but it was it's just a lack of facilities the lack of resources yeah. And I think that's the reality for a lot of people, especially, I guess, in your case, you moved to such a small town. Like, it was only you and the principal as teaching staff. And that, I guess it's probably not super common. Like, there's not that many small towns. But it is a scary thought that, yes, like, you have to face that isolation and um, look for your own social outings, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you really have to work hard on that. And I feel like yeah. I've gone from one extreme to the other. Like the the school that I left in Brisbane had over 100 staff. Like it was a huge school. It had 260 kids, like a massive, massive school. And I've come to one of the smallest schools I've ever even heard of. Like, And I think going from that many staff to that little of staff has been a bit of a a jarring experience for me because I'm a really collaborative, open person who I need to think out loud to get my ideas out. I can't just, if I mull over it on my own, I'm going in circles. Like, so being able to, to brainstorm with other people for me is really important. And that doesn't really happen because my 
principal who she is also she's a teaching principal so she has her own workload plus a principal's workload like she's obviously got her hands full so that I'm just sort of left to hang out on my own and sort my own stuff out which is fine and I manage but going from other schools where you will have year level planning days and stuff like that where there's five teachers sitting in a room together like that doesn't happen (laughs) no and it's good you've mentioned it because that is the reality for some teachers it's not yeah exactly rainbows and lollipops yeah and it's been really challenging um and I'm part of what's called um an outback alliance which it's my school and then a handful of other small like rural and remote schools which we run off the Peter six planning model so that's while we're still teaching the Australian curriculum we're completely out of sync to everyone on the coast like they're doing their own thing while that we're all still teaching number and stuff like that it's just that I teach mine completely out of sync to everybody else so even trying to reach out through social media and things like that I'm always out of whack by the time I get my like heat science unit everyone else has moved on to space like all that sort of stuff so there's an added thing to it as well is that you do just kind of muddle your way through it on your own um, yeah. while everyone else is just chugging on forward with something else. Yeah. Do you think it's made you more resilient though? I think it has. Something my partner likes to say is it's character building. Um, yeah. Whenever I go through like a little like muddled bit in my mind and I'm like, oh, this is too hard or this is really difficult. He's like, oh, don't worry. It's just character building. So yeah, there, there is that. It definitely will challenge you. I feel like it's made me a bit more resourceful knowing that Mm. you can't just nip to Coles to go and pick up some stuff for a math lesson or you can't go to Kmart on the weekend and grab those resources. Like you have to plan so far ahead or you just pull it out of nowhere on the spot. But then I think the other thing is that it's also made me really think about myself and in terms of my well-being, my mental health and my work-life balance, like knowing that I'm the only, really I'm the only teacher, the full-time teacher my workload is through the absolute roof. Like it's a huge, huge commitment. And knowing when to stop has become something that I'm more conscious of. Also putting my hand up to say, I need help. Like I can't just go and whinge to my next door teacher that, oh, this is really hard and well, she'll help me out. Like it, it kind of stops with me. So I've really learned how to put my hand up to say, no, that's enough or actually, I'm not quite ready to do that. Or yes, absolutely. I feel really good about that. I can do that for you. Like it's been able to analyze myself, my feelings and being able to recognize burnout. Um, I burnt myself out last term to the point where I was done. (laughs) I was really, really finished with it. Um, I was working every night till 10, 11 o'clock at night. I was working every day on the weekends. I'm also doing my master's at uni. So I was running myself into the ground with that. So um, really making sure that you're willing to, to own the fact that you need help or you need more time or no, I didn't get that done. Like that's been a huge, huge learning opportunity for me as well. Yeah, I love that because like I said sometimes, and that's why I love your Instagram because you do keep it real. And obviously this podcast is to recognise rural and remote teaching, but it's important to know that there are times that it's hard and it's not always fantastic, but that's reality and you can get through it. 
Absolutely. Like the reason I didn't quit was my kids. Like yeah. the, the students that I go to work to see are just the most wholesome, the most beautiful, polite learners I've ever met in my entire life. And they're so invested in you. Like you are the sole teacher. They don't get to go and see someone else for PE or they don't get to go and have someone else for music. Like you are who they see from the second they get to school to the second they get home and they adore you. Like you get those dinky little drawings and you get flowers and all of those sorts of things. Like just so, so wholesome and so beautiful. And they're the reason that I just keep on trekking because it's not fair on them to lose another teacher. Yeah without any sort of planning or preparation for it and things like that. It is so not fair on them. And knowing how remote my school is, there's a high turnover of staff anyway. Like they've mm. been through, I think it's something like eight principals in 10 years. So that, that's pretty, like, I, I, feel, I feel like it's pretty common out here, but yes. it's also pretty sad that that happens yeah. um, because then everyone's bringing a new teaching style and um, a new way of running a classroom, new behaviour management, new reading scheme and all that kind of thing. So then everything changes again for the kids. So I think it's really important. Like I was talking to my sister the other day and she's a, um, she's a second year teacher in Brisbane. She's gone into special ed as well. Um, she said to me, she was like, hey, we've been like being um, encouraged to go out west. Like what do you, what do you reckon? Like, apparently you get paid heaps more and I was like incentive scheme and stuff mm. like that but for me that's a little over two grand a semester like yeah. it's not like I'm, I'm raking in the millions and things like that and she was like if you could pitch it to someone what would you say and I said well you might save money because you can't go and get takeaway for dinner like you just can't because mm. well there isn't one um but you're going to spend more money on fuel because it takes uh, such a long distance to get anywhere you're going to become addicted to online shopping because you can't just pop down to the <laughs> Westfield and have a little squiz at Kmart and Target and stuff like that you just and it's so exciting because then when the mail comes and you go to the post office and pick it up because I don't have letterboxes like it just gets dropped at the post office um you go and you're like oh this is like Christmas because look at all the things that I've ordered and it's taken a thousand years to get to me so I've forgotten what it is <laughs> I think you stop taking those little things for granted hey because I guess you aren't close by what would you say obviously they're pushing for people to go west and the union are obviously really great like you said with teacher housing they're really pushing for that what do you think would help more people decide to go west though I feel like for me, it's like you need to really look into what it is that you want out of it. So Mm. for me, the main thing I wanted out of coming out here was to get that mainstream teaching experience. A lot of people will come out in the hopes to get experience to then go on to being a principal or a deputy or something at a big abandoned school, which I that's not my priority right now. It was to get into mainstream. So it's absolutely done what I needed it to do. But if you're going to come out here, you really need to research and think about the schools that you're applying for, the areas you're applying for. Like if you're someone like me who is such an emotional person who who needs to have validation from friends and friendship circles and all that sort of thing, like potentially coming to where I am now isn't the best decision for you. Like I think taking your time to research it and look into it and when you're applying for the jobs, don't be afraid to ring up a, a principal and just say, hey, what's the area like? What is it like to live there? 
And for me, nine times out of 10, like the people out here are just so brutally honest. It's a tiny bit yeah. shocking. Um, but they they live such a different life to to anyone else I've ever met. Like I think if you're someone who has like a really big interest in teaching music or like especially those specialist teachers potentially mm. coming out here, you're going to have to draw on a heap of other skills. Like you can't just be tunneled into being the PE teacher because that's no, like you might yeah. get one session a week of teaching PE, but you're not going to be running a PE curriculum for a whole primary school. So looking at your strengths and then the areas you want to improve on and then applying for schools that potentially have that value in mind as well. I think that's really important too. Yeah. And recently I saw on your Instagram, you were the acting principal for a <laughs> week or something. How is that though? Like obviously you would never have had that experience if you had stayed in Brisbane. And I'm sure it probably was very stressful. And I don't know, I think I would feel totally out of my league personally. But do you think that's been a good thing that you have been able to pick up from being out West? Like you can now say you gave that a go. Oh, 100%. Hey, like I did um, about a two-week stint back in Brisbane. I was only in like my second or third year of teaching as um, an acting deputy. Um, so I've done tiny little acting roles and little leadership roles and stuff before. But I definitely think that... Uh, when I got the email to say, can you step up as acting principal? I was like, oh my goodness, I'm still basically a child. Like who has left me in charge? Um, But one thing I will say is even with that, um, my assistant regional director was on the phone to me and she was like, how are you going? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What can I do to help you? Our nearest school, I say down the road, it's like 60 Ks away, but they were like, if you need more staff, let me know and I'll send staff. If you like the principal said to me, she was like, if you need me to come down and talk to you, I'll drive down and I'll come and talk to you and I'll help you with anything. So it was just the way that the, the leadership teams were able to come and support me was just so lovely like I didn't expect it at all and then the relationship I have with my parents really helped that as well knowing that being at such a small school we only have about 10 families like Mm. it's we don't have a huge range of like of like single child families and stuff like that there's a couple but for the most part that we've got multiple siblings from one yeah. family and stuff and all of my parents are like you're doing such a great job like we're so proud Aww. of you like look at you go and all that kind of thing so that made it so much better um thankfully nothing drastic happened like I had another three enrollments turn up which was interesting um so I got to manage that I had to sign off on some building plans and some upgrades to our school and stuff like that so that was pretty groovy but in saying that like because it is just myself and my principal so much of what I do sort of blurs that role anyway between I guess a leader and just a classroom teacher as well. So I'm kind of like dancing that line quite a lot, except this time it was official and it was terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's fantastic because I guess I have taught in rural schools, but not that small. So everything is left up to the principal, that admin thing. And I focus solely on teaching. And I think you probably have the best of both worlds in a way, because you do get that little insight to the admin side of running a school. Yeah, which was really interesting. And I teach the majority of the KLAs as well. Um, So I take six KLAs, um, plus I'm currently teaching the school ukulele as well. Um, So I'm also basically a hawk too. Like I am the head of curriculum for math, science, PE, health, music, like all this kind of stuff. But because we're such a small school, we don't get the allocation for it. So 
Mm. Um, you're while you'll be coming out as a classroom teacher, you are everything else but like yeah. you do all of it. I've never had to write a PE curriculum before. Like as much as I love netball, I don't know how to teach it to five-year-olds. Like, yeah. I think that's probably just really filled your professional toolkit though, hasn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like being able to, to really think about how to best deliver the content to these kids. Like science has been a massive one for me. While I've always liked science, I've never been super interested in it unless it was space. If it was space, I was all over it. But yeah. apart from that, it's just kind of been like, oh yeah, push, pull, whatever, hot and cold, whatever. But this time I teach P to six science. So I've been taking the upper grades. So we have, we only have grade four and six at the moment in our upper grade we don't have any enrollments mm-hmm. for grade three and five so um being able to make those links between the grade four science and the grade six science while there's a tiny bit of crossover there's still a lot that's different but then it's also giving the grade four students the chance to extend their learning up into a, a year six level and things like that so that's been so much fun and I never thought I would enjoy teaching science the way that I do but it's been so much fun. Like, and I didn't think I'd want to work with upper grades. I love working with them. Oh, <laughs> that's so good. But it was the same thing leaving special ed where I've only worked with high school kids. Mm. And then I, last year I walked into, it was the kindy year one, year two uh, classroom was what I had term four last year. And I was like, oh my God, I've never worked in early years before. Like I used to despise prep children. I was like, they're snotty, they're clingy, they're sad because they want their mum. Like, I was like, I can't work with that. And now I'm like, that's all I want to do. All I want to do is work in early years. They're just so beautiful. So it has absolutely shaped who I am as a teacher in every good possible way, I feel like. Yeah. And taking on kindy. So how many days a week are the kindy kids there for? So we do, um, we're a state-delivered kindy, um, yeah. so they're integrated into our classroom and we have three days a week on even weeks and then two days a week for odd weeks. And currently we have four kindies, um, which is a lot. One of our kids, um, she's one of our kindy kids is from a distance ed family, so she only comes a one day a week for what we call e-kindy, which is pretty fun, and then her two sisters come for their one day a week from distance ed as well. So we have a massive mixed bag of our kindy kids, but something I wasn't aware of is that kindy runs on their own curriculum. Like mm, they have, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, the QKLG, which is the like the learning guidelines for kindy kids. Like it's not just let's go and finger paint and sing songs about counting. Like there's so much involved with kindy kids. Like something I didn't know, you have to do observations on them that line up with the learning guidelines. Like there's portfolios to make. At the end of the year, there's a transition statement, which is basically like a report card for kindy, except they can't fail. Like it's really interesting. Hey, like kindy absolutely knocked me for six. I was so unsure of how on earth I support four-year-olds in the classroom. I was like, what are they going to do? Like, <laughs> um, but thankfully, I had access to um, our amazing, I call her the kindy guru. She's just a beautiful, incredible lady who is so, so good at kindy and she services and supports all kindy teachers in um, central Queensland. So she's from coast to border and she's just beautiful and I've got her on speed dial. Anytime I get dark, I ring her up and I'm like, oh my goodness, you've got to help me. She's like, no, no, just relax. Think about it. And the best way she described it to me was think about your kindy kids 
as really, really early preps. Like what would you do for really, really early year mm. preppies? Like that sort of stuff. So have lots of hands-on things, lots of sensory things, lots of songs and all that sort of stuff. So the biggest learning for me was at the start of the year, our English unit was Fantastic Mr. Fox. And I was like, how do I spin that for three and a half year olds? Like I don't, I don't know how to do that. And talking to my kindy guru, she was like, no, no, think about it. What happens to Mr. Fox when the the farmers are trying to find them with the diggers? And I was like, oh, well, they like dig further down and the diggers try to dig them out. And she was like, you've got a sand tray, print out pictures of Mr. Fox and stick him in the sand tray. Now the kindy kids can act out being the farmers. And I was like, oh, is that simple? Like, And it really is that simple. So once I had that conversation with her, I felt so much more confident about how to hook my kindy kids into all of the content that we were already learning. Oh, that's so wonderful that you have that support there. Yeah, she's just incredible. So, so good. Oh, well, Tiani, before we wrap up our chat, could you give some advice to those people who might be teaching in a small school now who are struggling from being so far away from home and the remoteness, what would you say to them? I think my biggest, I guess, little nugget of wisdom um, would be to like reach out on social media. Like mm-hmm. the the friendships I've formed with people through Instagram has been absolutely amazing. Like there's so many people out there who can either relate to exactly what you're going through or they're just more than willing to listen and um, support you in whatever ways they can, whether that's sending through a lesson plan or sending you a link to a resource or putting you in touch with somebody else. Like I've had so many connections with people who are either in the same situation as me or who have experienced it themselves before. Um, And I found that just so, so encouraging that it's not just me. And that's, I think that's the biggest bit. It's not just you. You are not yeah. the only person feeling like that. My, my Instagram inbox is always open. If anyone wants the chin wag, like that's all good. Um, and I just think if you think that you're struggling, let somebody know, like yeah. absolutely put your hand up, whether that's your principal or if you've got access to a hawk or a mentor teacher or whoever, like, or me, come and message me if you're struggling just let me know like and that's okay and we can work through it together like you're not supposed to be by yourself especially when you're feeling like that oh well thank you so much I'll make sure I put your Instagram in the show notes and obviously when I post the episode on Instagram anyway so thank you so much I love your Instagram you keep it real and I can't wait to see what else you will get up to out there ah thank you so much for having me it's been fun No worries. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Laughter, Dirt and Education podcast. I can't wait to bring you a new story from rural and remote educators each week. Make sure you are subscribed to your favourite podcast platform and follow us on Instagram to keep up to date. Until next week. Thank you.